Hey, this is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus no matter what you're going through today. You know, when we talk about God, we talk a lot about His righteousness and how God makes us righteous. But really, what even is righteousness? And what does it mean for me in my life? How does God's righteousness even apply to someone like me? So here we are, after months of study, arriving at what has been called the most important paragraph in all of the scripture. This deal, if the theologians are calling this the most important paragraph of all of them, we ought to try to get this right. So uh, we've got note sheets for you. I hope you'll use them today. We've got notebooks for you to clip those in. You can get them at the Parent Resource Center. And um, I just hope that's all good and helpful to you. Let's don't waste a lot of time. Let's just see what God has to say that's been regarded as the most important by looking in his word in Romans 3, 21. It's in your note sheet on the sidebar. Here's what it says. But now, now, after all the buildup that Paul's been doing, now, after all the long run of how bad we are and how we make God angry, how he will not deal with us anymore, and how his anger is coming on Judgment Day. Now, after all of that, now, the righteousness of God has been manifested. Now, God shows his righteousness apart from the law. You've been trying to obey the law. You've been trying to gain righteousness by obeying, but now he manifests his righteousness apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So, okay, Paul, sure what you're saying there. It's kind of the passage. Sorry, my microphone, we have, it's a, apparently, it's an old model or something, and it's very sensitive to all of our cell phones. Uh, it works fine when no one's in here, but it doesn't work very well when everybody's in here. So I'm going to apologize right now to the online crowd. I may be going in and out a lot more today than usual. We don't know why it's all of a sudden gotten worse, but we'll see what we can do to fix it. So this is really important, and I hope you'll be able to stay tuned and to listen. Are you going to, what are you going to do? Are you going to poke me in the face? Oh, okay. I'll, I'll use that. Okay. Thank you. Uh, so in case it gets really bad, I'll use the microphone. Okay. So here's what I started doing this week. I started saying, okay, this is really, really important for us to see, and uh, we don't want to take it for granted. So let's be serious about this and let's study this passage really, really well. I, I want to know what this is really all about. God's righteousness manifested apart from the law. And, and so what I, want to, what I want to see here is, I'm going to tell you right off the bat, is this. It's the first blank on your page. God's goal for me is righteousness. God's goal for me is righteousness. The reason God works 
in your life is to generate righteousness in you and through you. Now, his ultimate goal for the universe, that's not exactly it, but his goal for you is righteousness. The reason he speaks, the reason he acts, the reason he does what he does is so that you will gain righteousness, okay? So he doesn't speak and act. He doesn't like fill your bank account so you'll have money. His goal is not that you'll have money. His goal, <clears throat> goal is not that you'll be happy. His goal is not that you'll be, you know, alert and aware. His goal is for you to be righteous. That's what he's all about. So I started thinking about that this week, and I started thinking, you know, let's, what, what does the scripture say about us being righteous. And I can't help but think of Romans 12, 1 and 2. Later on in this same book, some of my favorite verses say this. So brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he's done for you. Let them, let your bodies be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. Give yourself to him. Give yourself to him. Let your whole body, let your life be a sacrifice for God. This isn't about a Sunday morning show. This isn't about being able to quote the right verses. This is about you giving yourself to God. He says, this is the way to truly worship him. So sing all you want. You know, raise your hands all you want. Those are good and they're important. But the way we worship him is by giving ourselves completely to him. In other words, singing and raise your hands, as good as it is, it's really just fake worship unless you're giving yourself to him. Does that make sense so far? Yes? Don't, he says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Remember, that's all the stuff that Paul's just been describing that God is mad at. That's why God's upset is because of the behavior and the customs of this world. The things that you and I engage in all the time, that's unrighteous. But instead, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think about everything. Let him transform you. Let him make you new. Let him give you righteousness by changing the way you think about everything. You see, we tend to think that those customs and behaviors of this world, we tend to think that those are what gives us completeness gives us happiness, makes us feel better, you know, makes us who we're supposed to be. We think those things give us value. But Paul has just made this long case that we've been studying the last few months of how, no, those are the very things that make God mad. They don't give us value. They put us under the judgment of God. So let him transform you into something new by changing the way that you think. He wants you to be righteous. Proverbs 21 says to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. He's talking about the old covenant here. And he's saying that, you know, sacrificing is important, right? Because in the old covenant, 
And in the new covenant, we know that there is no forgiveness of sin without the sacrifice, without the shedding of blood, right? So if you're going to receive his forgiveness, there's, there must be a sacrifice. But he's saying here, if you would just be righteous, if you would just live right and do justice, that would be better. There wouldn't even need to be a sacrifice, if you would just do this, then Jesus would not have had to sacrifice his life. Righteousness and justice are so important to God. Jesus himself says in Matthew, he says, I'm telling you the truth. He says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus places a huge value on righteousness. Why don't we? Why don't, why don't we? If Jesus places this high of a value on righteousness, why are all we Christians, we're always, it seems to be lowering the bar, aren't we? We're always lowering the bar. There's, there's just less that we have to... B, yet Jesus places this high, high value on righteousness. God's goal for you is righteousness. Why do you keep continuing on in your unrighteousness? So I was thinking about all this this week. I was trying to kind of think through it some and figure out how do we deal with this most important passage of Scripture rightly. And I want to say, first of all, that I am under no delusions of being qualified to deal with this most important thing. I mean, I'm just going to be honest. I'm just a, a dumb redneck, and I don't really understand a lot of stuff, okay? I'm, I'm in the remedial class and everything, and I, it just takes me a while. So who am I to even try to begin to approach this most important paragraph in Scripture? So I began to think through it. God, you've, you've given me this responsibility. How do I deal with it? This is why I... This is why I take my job seriously. You know, I'm not one of those preachers that gets up on Sunday mornings and opens my Bible and points to a passage and just hopes God will speak. I actually believe that God speaks every day of the week, not just on Sundays. And not only that, I've read my job description in his word, and it says things like study to show yourself approved and accurately handle the word of truth. So I gotta accurately handle this. I can't just get up and say what I think about it. I, I, I gotta be diligent, I gotta be faithful, I gotta be in the word, study the word, pray through the word, work it so that I can handle it accurately and be faithful to him. And that's what I wanna do starting this morning as we look at this passage over the next couple of weeks. So I started thinking about Righteousness, and we're talking about God's righteousness, and I started thinking about you and me, and I thought to myself, do I even know what righteousness really even is? I mean, I know how I feel about righteousness. You know, I feel like, you know, I'm righteous. Of course I'm righteous because I'm a good, I'm a good little boy. You know, I'm just good. I do good things. But let's just be honest. Let's just be honest. For, for, for many of us, being good really just means not being bad right? It doesn't mean overtly or explicitly doing something good or right. It just means being right enough. 
right? I mean, I, I think I'm righteous. I, I think I'm good. I mean, I, I, I live in the mountains. I, I'm not a drunk. I don't knock over convenience stores, you know. I, I mean, I'm good. Heck, I, I vote conservative all the time. I'm good. I'm good. I, I'm just, I'm righteous. But as I began to study this week, what I began to find is that God's idea of righteousness is really, really different than our ideas about righteousness. God's view on what righteousness is is very, very different. And if we're going to get it right, if we're going to understand what this most important passage is saying about God's righteousness for us, I think it's important that we know what God even means with the word righteous. So if it's okay with you today, instead of starting to really take apart this passage, I just felt like I need to do the remedial class on righteousness because that's what I need. I decided I'd try to bring it down to a fifth grade level right where I am. Is that okay? Okay, <laughs> thank you for being graceful with me. So what I wanna try to do in the next few blanks on your page is just do a real basic simplification. This is not a full, complete explanation, but a simplification of what I kind of gather by studying righteousness in the Bible. And, and I want us to kind of try to, as best as we can, just get our heads around it in about 20 or 25 minutes. So first thing I want you to see, it's the next blank on your page, is this. Righteousness is God's, not ours. Righteousness is God's, not ours. We don't get to pick what is right and wrong. God does that. He says to us himself through the prophet Isaiah, he says, I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Hello? He is the one that chooses what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is bad, what's up and what's down. That's his call, not mine. I don't really operate my life, though, very well as if he were the one that's right and, and I might not be. I mean, as a, as a Christian, I should always have a very, very, very open mind to not speak quickly, but to listen and, and to understand and to learn and to let God speak. He declares what is right. Unfortunately, I'm very closed-minded. I, I know what's right and wrong because I'm a good, educated, 21st century American. And I know what's right. I watch the news and I see all the idiots in the world, right? And they're all making bad decisions, doing wrong things and ruining everything. I mean, if that guy in Miami had just listened to the, the inspector when he made the report about his building and had done something, then those people wouldn't be dead today. I mean, all he had to do was listen. Maybe all I need to do is listen more because I think I'm right. You, you do it too, you do it too. The surveys show that, that almost everybody believes that they are a better driver than everybody else. Right? Me too. Me too. Can that possibly be true? Of course, if for you it is, I'm sure. <laughs> we all think we're right. We all think we're good. We think we speak the truth and we declare what is right. 
But God says, nope, that is not you, that's me. God is the one that is righteous. I'm just going to say God is the one that is right. I'm just going to abbreviate it. God's right. And what it means to be righteous is it means to be right. And God is always right. That means everything he does, everything he thinks, every attitude he has, everything he says is right. In fact, rightness, righteousness isn't just something that God does, it's who he is. The very character of God, the very nature of God is that he is right. We are not like God. Can I get an amen? I heard a lot of women say amen, but I didn't hear a lot of men. Mm, okay, thank you, men. But we men, we tend to feel like we're right. Get into it with our wives, and we'll say something, she'll say you're wrong, and you're like, no, I wouldn't have said it if it wasn't right. Right? I didn't need an amen from the front row, Sherry. <laughs> yeah, we are not like him. In fact, Isaiah also says this, that we are all infected and impure with sin. We display our righteous deeds and they're nothing but filthy rags. All the things that we think are right, as righteous as we think we can be, it's nothing but filthy, filthy rags. And you know, you know, come on, do I need to talk about this? No, because you know filthy rags. You know what that says. This is talking about the menstrual rag. I'm not kidding. That's what this describes. So my best shot at being right is the grossest thing you can think of compared to God's righteousness because I'm infected and impure with sin. My righteousness is nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall and our sins sweep us away like the wind. We are not like God. God is righteous and we are not righteousness is his and his alone and God himself in his righteousness designed everything in this universe to be right like him and that includes us he designed us to be right like him but it all went really wrong really fast didn't it Right? It all went really wrong really early when we rebelled against the righteousness of God. We rebelled because we agreed with the accuser who told us that God isn't right. He's actually wrong. And we decided to make ourselves the declarer of what is right. We decided to rely on our own experience and our intuition and our emotions and our needs we decided to look to ourselves and let us be the chooser of what is right and wrong. We are now the standard of what's right and wrong. And folks, that's not a very good standard, is it? That's not a very reliable standard at all. So God's goal is to make us righteous, to return us to our design state. 
He desires for us to be like him, to be righteous. That's why I say his goal is to make us righteous, to make everything right again. This is what his activity in the universe is all about. He's redeeming the world to himself, right? It's broken. It's out of kilter. It's under the judgment of God. And we just looked at 60 some odd verses about how God is angry and going to take it out on us because we're not right. And we think we are. But his goal is to make us righteous, to transform us by the renewing of the mind, changing the way we think about everything. And this is his whole purpose. That's why you see Jesus in Revelation thrilled and excited because finally his people are with him. Finally, everybody is righteous with him. And he says, Jesus exclaims to his father, look, I'm making all things new again. That's what he desires in you. Why are you holding out on him? Why do you think he's okay? Why, why do you think you and God have a deal and he's okay with your transgressions because they're not as bad as someone else's see you just decided what's right God is right so I did a little study in the old covenant I did a lot of a lot of work in the old testament this week just to make sure I knew how God defined righteousness because as Paul is writing about righteousness, the thing that's informing him the most is the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. What, that's what we call it today. And so he's writing about righteousness. And I wanted to know what Paul was thinking when he's writing about righteousness. You, you know how the Old Covenant began, right? God chose a people group. He finds them enslaved in Egypt, right? They're oppressed they're in bondage. They're under the tyrannical rule of the Pharaoh. Uh, they're, they're slaves there. They're uh, t treated terribly, beaten and tortured, don't ever have enough food. They're miserable, and they're crying out to God. And God says, let me do something about this. And you know what he does. He rescues them miraculously. He brings them out of Egypt. He saves them in this dramatic way. Remember all the plagues, right? All the plagues to try to convince Pharaoh. And it just hardens his heart. And so God does the big, horrible plague and passes over the people of God. And then he rescues them out. And uh, they, they are chased by the Egyptian army. And they come up to the sea. And then what happens, God? What does God do to the sea? He parts the sea and they go across to dry land on the other side. And right as all the army rushes in, the sea comes crashing down. God does this amazing salvation of his people. And so they get to the other side. And man, as soon as all that happens, God goes, did you see that? Did you see that? He speaks through Moses to his people. And he says, listen, I've done all the work, right? You just saw how I saved you. Now, do you want to enter into a relationship with me? Do you want to enter into a relationship, a covenant where I will be your God and you will be my people? 
And of course, they all went, yes, we want more of that. We saw what you did back there. Let us be your people. And so they entered into a covenant with God, a relationship with God, a relationship that was all about them being God's people. That means righteous people. And so God gave them the law, right? He gives them the law and he says, okay, I, of course, will abide by my side of the covenant. You can bank on it. Never going to go back on it. Here's the way you live your side of the covenant. I'm giving you the law because the law expresses my nature. It expresses my character. When you live the law, you are living in a way that makes you right. Right? You are becoming the people uh, of God. You are showing me to each other and to the world around you. So you live the law and I will be your God. And so they tried that, didn't work very well, but they obeyed the law as best as they could. In other words, as the people live out his rightness, they live right by, next blank on your page, by doing right by God. For the Hebrew people, being righteous means doing right by God. That means whatever aligns with him, whatever points to him, whatever looks like him, that's what I'm going to do. I want to do right by God. Righteousness is doing right by God. Right? Psalm 89 says this, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. So God sets his kingdom up on earth through the Hebrew people and his kingdom, his throne begins with righteousness and justice. Being the people of God is predicated on righteousness and justice. In fact, as I did my work this week in the Old Testament, I found that you can't hardly separate these two ideas, righteousness and justice. They go hand in hand, and you see them together most of, not all of, but most of the time. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But righteousness and justice is foundation. Whatever God's doing, it starts with righteousness and justice. Right? Psalm 33 says, The Lord watches over those who fear him, those who rely on his unfailing love. He rescues them from death and keeps them alive in times of famine. We put our hope in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. Let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in you alone. This is a song in the Psalms about how righteousness is not about necessarily just something that I choose, something that I do. It's trusting him, trusting that what he says is right, trusting that what he does is good and relying on him completely, giving myself to him. That's what this is really all about. In Micah 6, the prophet says, he's told you, God's told you, oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Here's that word justice again. It's inseparable from 
the word righteousness almost in the Old Testament. For the Hebrew people, their idea of righteousness came along with justice. They go together. You could say they're two sides of the same coin. Whenever they thought of righteousness, they thought of justice. Whenever they thought of justice, they thought of righteousness. They work together. The theologians say that they are two words in a word family. And so justice and righteousness work really together. You can't have one without the other. So I love that God is a just God. You know, I love that because in my 21st century American perception, what that tells me is that God is just, so God punishes sin. You can count on it. The criminals will not go unpunished, right? Justice will be done. Right will be right, and wrong will be wrong. And God would agree with that, but that is a really, really basic simplistic view of what justice is. Again, our view of justice is really different than God's view of justice. God has a much bigger, much more robust view of what justice is. And if you can't have righteousness without justice, it's important for us to understand how they work together, what they really are. The Hebrew word for righteousness is the word tzedakah, and it means to be right with God, to do right by God. It means that God is right and that you and I are wrong. But justice, justice is a little bit different Justice has a deeper, much more impactful thing. It doesn't just mean make sure the criminals go un, make sure the criminals don't go unpunished, right? Jesus talked about this a little bit. Didn't he say in the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? That sounds like justice. But doesn't God demand more of us than that? He goes on and he says, You know, if you're demanded, if your shirt is demanded of you, you give them your shirt and you give them your cloak or your coat as well. Hmm. He says, if a soldier demands that you carry all of his gear for a mile, you go the extra mile. Jesus is trying to reform the idea of justice in our simplistic little brains. So for God, as I studied through righteousness and justice, what I found was that righteousness is doing right by God, but justice is, next blank on your page, doing right for others. Righteousness is doing right by God. Justice is doing right for others. Others. Remember, righteousness and justice are the foundation. That's where it begins. So look at what it says in Proverbs. Proverbs is always contrasting the righteous with the wicked, right? Proverbs is always saying the righteous man is this way, the wicked man is that way. The righteous do this, the wicked do that. The one who is loved by God over here, the one who is punished by God over there. That's what Proverbs is kind of all about, And so here's one example of many in Proverbs of how that contrast shows up. Look at Proverbs 11. The desire of the righteous ends in good, 
the expectation of the wicked ends in wrath. One, the righteous, gives freely, yet grows all the richer. The righteous is a generous giver. Another, the foolish, the wicked, withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing, blessing to others, will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. Whoever diligently seeks good seeks favor, but evil comes to him who searches for evil. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Whoever troubles or brings trouble to his own household will inherit the wind. What does that mean, inherit the wind? If the wind is your inheritance, what are you inheriting? Those who bring trouble to their own household will inherit the wind, and the fool will be a servant to the wise of heart. But the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And whoever captures souls is wise. I got to be honest, in my fifth grade reading mentality, I read this and that kind of shook me up a little bit. Captures souls sounds like a bad B-grade horror movie. The soul capturer, you know. <laughs> whoever captures souls is wise. And I had to do a little work on that. Found out that this is a Hebrew phrase. And it means in this context, capturing a soul is something that the righteous does. What it means is it's someone who, whose heart beats for righteousness and then influences others to want to be righteous as well. You've captured their soul, right? In our covenant today, we would say somebody whose heart beats for Jesus, who loves Jesus, and then we win someone else to Christ as well. We've captured their soul. It's actually kind of a cool phrase, isn't it? So the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Whoever captures souls is wise. Here's what this all boils down to. Maybe you'll want to write this down. There's not a blank for it, but I thought this was profound. Uh, here's what I thought. The wicked always want something from others. The righteous always want something for others. You hear that? The wicked want something from you. The righteous want something for you. Job, a particularly righteous man, describes himself like this. Hold on. You remember the story of Job, right? Everybody remember Job? And we remember Job because of the terrible bad thing that happened to him. But we tend to skip over what happened first. And what happened first is that Job was recognized by God to be particularly righteous. The story begins with God himself gathering heavenly beings around and being like, dude, look at my boy, Job. Look at the, he's my boy, he's my guy. Look at that guy. Look, have you seen how good he, look at him. He's awesome, he's better than everybody else. That guy is amazing, dude. If you're getting God calling you out to everybody else, he's righteous, he's pretty good. And you know, the accuser shows up there and says, yeah, of course he's good. He's, it's really good to be good when you're good. 
I mean, come on, God, you've given him all the good things. He's rich, you know, he's got everything. Take that away, let's see how good he is. That's how the whole story starts. So Job is a particularly righteous man, then all the bad stuff happens, and then later as Job is praying, he kind of he describes who he used to be, you know, before all the terrible bad stuff happens. And in Job 29, here's what you find Job saying. Job says, I assisted the poor in their need and the orphans who required help. And I helped those without hope and they blessed me and I caused the widow's hearts to sing for joy. Everything I did was honest. Righteousness covered me like a robe and I wore justice as a turban. There it is again, righteousness and justice. Job is expressing being clothed in righteousness. He says, I served as eyes for the blind and feet for the lame. I was a father to the poor and assisted strangers who needed help. I broke the jaws of godless oppressors and plucked their victims from their teeth. He rescued the oppressed from the oppressors. Job is not so much describing individual actions as he is describing this state of being that he had, this being clothed in righteousness. This really ought to inform us how God sees righteousness. It's wanting good for others. It's doing good for others. Mishpat is that whole idea of doing what's right for others, making sure that others around you are doing as well as they can, right? In other words, if you look in Proverbs, if you look at Job, I got another phrase you might want to write down uh, that may or may not be worth writing down. There's not a blank for it. But here's what I kind of came up with after reading Proverbs and this part in Job. The righteous look at the people around them, the, the disadvantaged, the down and out, the foreigner, uh, the addicted, the people around them. The righteous makes their problem my problem. You see that? The righteous makes their problem my problem, but the wicked makes my problem their problem. Let me say it a different way. The wicked wants you to pay for the mess they've made. The righteous sees the mess and says, what do I need to do to make that right? How can I change that? So just because someone is wicked and wants to dump their problem off on you does not re release you from the obligation of being right and doing what's right for them. Hello? Hello? God is right, and he looks at the disadvantaged and the broken, and he says, how can I come to them and serve them and lift them up? Isn't that what he did for you? Weren't you disadvantaged? Weren't you broken? Weren't you on the outs with God? Weren't you under the death penalty because of the clear crimes that you'd committed? But Jesus comes to you with a towel on his knees and says, unless I wash you, you cannot be clean. Unless I serve you, you cannot be clean. What? That's 
the picture of righteousness. Isaiah describes the righteous, and he says, His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. He's describing the Messiah, but he's describing us also, the righteous. And he's saying that we won't judge by what we think or how we're informed or by 21st century American values. I'm not the chooser. I'm not the declarer of what's right. He is. I'm not going to decide based on how I feel. I'm going to listen to God, and I'm going to be righteous because of him. But with righteousness... The righteous will judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he, the Messiah, will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Here we go again, clothed in righteousness. It's not just things that you do, but it's a state of being. It's who you are. The righteous make their problem my problem, and the wicked make my problem their problem. I got to say, church, I look around and you are good at this. I am thrilled to be able to be a part of a church that understands this idea and lives it out. Am I right, Aaron and Jamie Dean? Because you saw a down and out disadvantage right here. You watched them get everything, all their livelihood stolen from right out of the parking lot and you said I'm going to make that my problem and you came around them and you loved on them and now as they said in the welcome earlier they got everything back and more all brand new because you made it your problem <laughs> praise the Lord that's righteousness right there love that that's why we spend every weekday out at Tower Road during the day feeding lunches to kids, and we're going to be providing backpacks real soon to those same hungry kids out there because we're looking at the fact that they don't have food and they don't have uh, stuff for school this fall, and we're going to make their problem our problem. We're not going to let them continue to deal with that. We're going to be righteous and do justice. Because that's what God calls us to do. We look at the foreigner among us. And we don't say, hey, you're not part of us. We say, what does love demand of me? How can I make their problem my problem? That's why we have our Celebrate Recovery ministry. Because, dude, there are a bunch of down-and-out people that come here on Friday nights. And let me just promise you, this room gets packed out on Friday nights. And God is at work in Celebrate Recovery. Man, I'm watching God change lives. I'm seeing people get saved. I'm seeing stuff happens on Friday nights as God is working in people's lives. Yeah, it's wonderful. But let me tell you something. Those people, they need your love. They need Someone to step up and love on them a little bit more. Because I'm just going to be honest, there's kind of a gap sometimes between us and the people that come and sit in these very chairs in our own very room right here. There, there is. I don't think there's enough of us loving on those people. And if there's one thing they need, it's love and encouragement. Because they've made a mess in their lives. They, they've, they've made a disaster of their lives. 
but they're here because they've chosen to step out of that and to find recovery in Christ. And they just need someone to look at them and love them and accept them and pull them up. That's what they need. You know, I come here on Fridays and Aaron, I got to be honest with you. You, you know how this goes. Um, I come here on Fridays and a lot of times I go home smelling like cigarette smoke. And you know, I hate cigarette smoke. I despise cigarette smoke. I think it's awful. <clears throat> Makes me want to choke. But I come here and I'm going to hug every neck I can. I'm going to slap every back I can. I'm going to make sure that there's nobody that comes in here that doesn't feel loved and accepted. That's who we are. I'm going to make their problem my problem. And I'm going to love them a little bit closer to Jesus. Would you be willing to step out of your comfort zone and do that? Maybe you'll have to do laundry on Friday nights like I do sometimes. It's okay. That's a small price to pay. There's a lot of ways you can do that with our Celebrate Recovery crowd. Um, you don't have to come in here and be an addiction counselor. No one's asking you to do that. But, dude, those people bring their kids, and those kids need someone to love on them also. This past a couple of weeks ago, I was preaching and just really just trying to just drop the word on that crowd with kids are running around in the back, making noise, yelling and screaming. Nobody could understand what was going on. Those kids just need someone to love on them, hold them and tell them about Jesus. Those people, when they come and they go, they just, they just need, need someone to serve them coffee or food and smile at them. I mean, maybe, maybe one way you can lift their burden and make their problem your problem is just to smile and give them dinner that night. Would you be willing to help out in that small, small way like you do at Tower Road? You can't fix all their problems out there, but you can sure show them that you love them. So if you look on our handout that you got, there's a QR code. And it's right here too if you're using digital notes. You can just... Use your phone, and you can scan that QR code. Hey, helpful hint. It just takes us to our upcoming events page. So you already know where that is. We just wanted to make it super easy for you to get there. But when you look on our upcoming events page, there are several ways to serve coming up. Vacation Bible School, July 4th downtown, Tower Road, Backpacks coming up, and Celebrate Recovery. There's a lot of ways that we look in our community and say, let's make their problem our problem, and we're going to meet those needs as best as we can because we want to be righteous and do justice. That's God's view on what righteousness looks like. Does that make sense? Can I get an amen, a tiny amen, a little tiny? Okay, thank you. That's what we're all about. The righteousness of God manifests through us. His goal in and through us is righteousness. And we are people of righteousness because righteousness and justice have come together on our behalf. God's righteousness, his perfect rightness, puts us in danger because of his perfect justice. But God enacted his justice in Jesus on the cross. He paid, uh, he paid Jesus for what we had done. In other words, next blank on your page, righteousness and justice meet at the cross. And we are people of the cross. We have experienced his righteousness and justice. And so if you've seen it, 
you can't help but be part of it. You want to give yourself away and you want to live on his behalf in this world. That's what he's out to produce in us.